On this episode of the PNR Churchman, I have a treat for you. What you're about to hear is a message that was delivered on September 30th at Meadowview Reformed Presbyterian Church in Lexington, North Carolina, the church where I pastor. But by Dr. O. Palmer Robertson, he was our mission conference keynote speaker. And so he gave his, this address on Saturday night. And in a future episode, I'll play his Sunday morning sermon. But here was his Saturday evening address to our conference, which was a banquet and a silent auction and missionary testimonies. And then we were blessed by this uh, this message full of ministry reflections by Dr. Robertson. And I believe the message was entitled, How You Should Go With the Gospel. Okay, so welcome to the 2023 Missions Conference for Meadowview. The theme, as you can see up there, is Obedient to the Great Commission. Now, where that comes from is that comes from the PCA's motto, which is faithful to the scriptures, true to the Reformed faith, and obedient to the Great Commission. Sometimes it's the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. And so how we got that title, actually, or that theme, was when I asked our uh, speaker, who I'll introduce a little bit later, Dr. Robertson, what he would like to speak on, he says, well, what else is there but the Great Commission? And I said, praise God, so that will be the theme because it's also the 50th anniversary of the, the Presbyterian Church in America, praise God. And so we have a lot of things converging on this conference. We are so blessed here in, in our church that Dr. Robertson has settled in Winston-Salem. He has been a huge blessing to myself personally, to our session. Uh, Dr. Robertson, as we've said, is a founder in the PCA. He's one of those men that stood up and had to make the very hard decision to leave the church that he started, the PCUS. And uh, you don't take those kinds of fractures lightly. Also, he wrote the book, The Christ of the Covenants. Now, seminary students know this because for the last 40 years, most Reformed pastors in all the NAPARC denominations, which is the PCA, OPC, ARP, have learned covenant theology through this man's work. Even if it wasn't through his book, the subsequent books that were written were based on a lot of his work. And so we're blessed by that. And I don't see any of them left on that table over there, Dr. Robertson. You didn't bring enough. Uh, so why is he a, a missions conference speaker? Because He's only back in the country for about four years. Before that, for 25 years, he was a missionary in Africa. And so this man has taught at Westminster Theological Seminary, Reformed Theological Seminary, Covenant Theological Seminary, Knox Theological Seminary. He's a missionary of 25 years, a founder of the denomination, a covenant theologian, and uh, I'm blessed to know you, Dr. Robertson. And uh, his wife, Joanna, is just a wonderful, wonderful partner for him. And she's, she's dynamic. I almost want to call you up here to speak, Joanna. I do. Dr. Robertson, would you come on up and, and bring us your message? All right. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, I feel so elevated. And yet, your pastor forgot the one thing that I am really famous for, my greatest accomplishment in life. I was the Mississippi State yo-yo champion. <laughs> and I was ready to perform a, a little yo-yo trick, but uh, I can't make this thing work. 
but I'm going to do something anyway. Let's see here. Because I want you to remember what I'm doing, okay? What, what I really would be doing, as some of you know, is around the world, right? You know about around the world. Rock the baby, that's one thing. Uh, you don't know about, well, all sorts of tricks that you can do, but you know this one. Watch out. It will work, although I'm not doing it properly. And you win a yo-yo contest by who can do the most around the world. Now, there are two forces that are going on here. Do you know what the two forces are? One is centrifugal and one is centripetal, right? Okay, which one is centrifugal? There is a center and the centrifugal is, wants to flee outward. So that's the pressure to go out, right? And I am doing the centripetal, like the petals of a flower, to bring it back in again. That's centripetal. Now, what does that have to do with missions? That has everything to do with missions. Anyone know how centripetal and centrifugal has to do with missions? Well, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament perspective on missions. And you want to be sure, if you're living in the days of the New Testament, that you're following the New Testament perspective on missions. Now, which is the Old Testament and which is the New Testament perspective on missions? Which is centrifugal and which is centripetal? Anyone dare to provide an answer? <clears throat> the Old Testament said, come to Jerusalem. To all the nations of the world, it said, come and join us. Become Jews. Be a part of us. That is centripetal, coming into the center of Jerusalem. But Jesus said, centrifugal. Rather than coming to Jerusalem, you move Jerusalem out. Now, you can apply that to every individual and to every church. Is this church centrifugal or centripetal? Are you telling everyone to come in to the church? Are you saying everyone in this church go out? That's the big question. Now that does not mean that exclusively and only. That does not mean you never invite anybody to come to church. Right? But it does mean that you have a concept that you have to go out to get someone to bring them into church. So that's the, just a thought that maybe if you remember nothing else, you can remember that we should be a, what kind of church? Centrifugal. We've got so much life going in here that we can't contain it. And so we must go out rather than simply saying, oh, y'all, 
come in. That's nice to give the invitation, and we should never stop doing that, but we need to remember that the whole perspective no longer is Jerusalem the center to which everyone is supposed to come. By no means, no. Now, this can be the center by which the whole world hears the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, the scripture for this evening is taken from Matthew chapter 28. <clears throat> I'm going to begin at verse 11 because it's, there, there's a sense of humor in the Bible. And if you listen, you can get the sense of humor here. This is some of the, one of the most ridiculous things that can, um, can be imagined. Have you ever heard of a sleeping guard talking? Sleeping guards do not talk about falling asleep, right? Sleeping guards get shot. Well, now let's listen to this story. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets into the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. <laughs> that is the most ridiculous thing. Can you imagine a Roman guard going around, I fell asleep? <laughs> That's the only explanation they could give, and give to the empty tomb. But we know there is a much better explanation for an empty tomb. This story, and it is indeed a story, has been widely circulated among the Jews even to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. Therefore, go, make disciples of not a few nations, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you, or behold, it actually says, behold, I am with you always, even to the consummation 
of the ages. Let us pray. Lord our God, our lives are not what they would be if it were not for this great commission. Someone, some decades back in the case of this church, some 75 or 80 years ago, brought together a few children in a filling station and began to teach the Bible. And from that day until this, things have not been the same. Lord, so many times over in this world, this thing has happened. Let it continue to happen, we pray you. And let us have some part in the continuation of this amazing thing of the proclamation of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ to the end of the age. For we pray in the mighty name of Jesus and to his glory. Amen. You wouldn't mind a one-word sermon tonight, would you? Had a nice supper. Boy, I had the nicest piece of chocolate cake. I don't know. It wasn't cake. It was some sort of pudding. And mm, I can still taste it in the back of my throat. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm sure Joanna would be happy to have the, the recipe. You know, if I, Joanna, if you would just stand so everyone will know that you know, you're the one that's making all this happen and has continued to make it happen for the last 26 years. You know, it took three continents for us to get together. She came down from England. I came over from Africa. She was off for a while. We met just very casually a few times. I lost my first wife to cancer. She was off you know, preparing to do a, a master's degree after having taught in Africa and in England for a number of years to be a Bible translator. And I knew I was not the kind to live alone, so I flew up to Kenya on the pretense that I wanted to start a new African Bible college in Uganda, and I had to go by Kenya and made this grand proposal, hey, maybe we could serve the Lord better together than separately. Does that sound very romantic? <laughs> well, that's the way missionaries do it. And after we got engaged, then we courted. We didn't even know one another. Joanna, I, I guess it's all right for me to, to say this, Joanna had said, Lord, I don't like this dating thing. It's so messy. Can you just do a um, arranged marriage for me? If you want me to get married, you, you just arrange it, okay? So this American parachutes out of the sky into Kenya, and her prayer was answered. I'm the answer to prayer? Well, so go, one word. How shall we go? You've already heard it from your pastor. 
And in this talk, I'm, I'm going to be a little more relaxed and share quite a bit of our own experiences as missionaries, just so you, you'll get a little bit more of a picture of what life is like for missionaries and something of the wonder of what it is to be a missionary. It's, it's an exciting life, I want to tell you that. There are so many exciting things that we can that we could share, but just a few things. Go with the gospel. How do you go? Well, three ways, by prayer, by proxy, in person, by prayer. Number one. Pastor John, how many, how many churches did you say, how many pastors did you say you wanted to train in, in Sudan, how many? Okay, that's, that's the, the, the five times two and 200 plan. How many of you, I, I won't make you to raise your hand, but would you pray for the next five years? If I'm going to commit myself to pray for the next five years as the Lord gives me strength, that there will be five, 200 new pastors and 200 new churches in the south of Sudan. Oh, if you knew what the south of Sudan has gone through, you would pray that God would do that very thing. You can be a missionary every morning if you would just remember to pray that God would raise up 200 new pastors with a good strong theology and a good strong perspective on church planting and plant 200 new churches in the next five years. Here we have a church planter executive. Is that a reasonable thing? 200 churches in five years? With God all things are possible. Ah, with God all things are possible. Indeed, that's absolutely true. Let me just share a story or two of answered prayer on the mission field. When you receive a missionary letter, don't just go over those prayers. Take them out and put them in your Bible and start praying. We just had a fine young lady, it doesn't make any difference that she was a PhD, but a PhD that, we, that I had preached in Savannah, Georgia four or five, six years ago. And she's been praying every day for us, every time we send out a mission letter. And she wanted to know, what about this that I've prayed for? What about this I've prayed for? What about this I've prayed for? What about this I've prayed for? Get you a, a, it's one of the most wonderful experiences that you can have. Something that I learned when I was the age of your sons. I had a little prayer book and I would put prayer number one and I would write it down and I'd put a parenthesis around it, the date, and then number two, and then number three, and then number four. And when that prayer was answered, I would turn the I would just strike a very through very thin line through the prayer and write the date that it was answered on the back. 
And I could, if I still had my, all my prayer journals, I could show you page after page after page of prayer requests that all had the lines written through. Do you not understand that this is the way God works? God, in great grace, gives you and me the privilege of the advancement of his kingdom all over the world. It is God's spirit that inspires our prayers. And you can be sure that if God's spirit inspires your prayers, then what's going to happen? God is going to answer those prayers. In Uganda, we started a brand new university. That, that was such a privilege. A brand new Christian university. We started with 25 students. We got up to 100 students. It's still about 100 students. But someone of the government coming through who was a Christian whispered in my ear and he said, you should plan for 1,000 students so you can have the kind of impact this, this university ought to have in this country. We had 20 acres, but if we were going to have a thousand students, we needed another 10 acres. So we started praying and asking God to provide the money. And we were in this little church that had been praying for us, supporting us for decades. We had never even visited them. A little church in Louisiana, right across from the Mississippi River, High, Louisiana. And I preached and I said, well, we're trying to buy 10 acres and we've got most of the money, but would you keep praying for us? We, I can't tell you how many people had been praying for this. Would you, would you just pray that, that that we could get the $7,000 that we still are lacking. Well, someone took us out for lunch after church. We came back to pick up our car. This pickup truck came bouncing along the country road. This man came out and gave me uh, a you know, envelope. And naturally I assumed, well, this is for a little honorarium and for our gas expenses. And I, I have this habit of never opening any envelope like that until Tuesday. I, I don't want to get anywhere thinking in my thought that I'm preaching for money. That's, that's not the consideration at all. So I wait till Tuesday. I don't know if that changes anything very much, but at any rate, on Tuesday I open it up and there's a check for $7,000. And so we've got the extra 10 acres. And so we are planning for 1,000 students in African Bible University in Uganda. But people had been praying for years for that. Here's another instance. For 13 years, we had tried to become a chartered university. Now, you don't have chartered universities here in the USA. You have that in, in England and in the British system chartered universities. That's the highest level of a university that's possible in the British system. Across town from us, there was Macquarie University with 40,000 students. 
And that university had trained some of the first presidents of countries that had broken free from, their, from the governance of Western countries. They had been trained at Macquarie University, 40,000 students. That was a chartered university. And here we are, 100 students, and we want to have a chartered university. We knew that our standards were even higher in terms of academics. We knew that our library was better in terms of what we were teaching. In fact, some of those people came over to investigate us and they went to the shelf and said, Sigmund Freud? You've got Sigmund Freud over here? I've been in every university in Uganda and haven't found Sigmund Freud. Now, that's not the only kind of book we had there, but if you're going to teach psychology, you need to have Sigmund Freud. And we had it on our shelf. But for 13 years, we could not get our charter. Why couldn't we? We had the most beautiful campus in the, in the whole country. We had the best trained faculty in the whole country. Why couldn't we get our charter? Well, they wanted us to have the same kind of organization as they had at Macquarie University with 40,000 students. And there's no way that our 12 little students could organize themselves in such a way as to and arrange all our, our programs in such a way as to compare with Macquarie University. We did our own thing. So the time came as time must come for everyone, to, for us to finish up in Uganda. I had been praying for years for someone to take my place. It was past my time. And so we were going to have one final graduation, one last graduation. The day before that last graduation on Saturday, our son was graduating from high school across town. So we went across to the high school graduation, which started at about 11 in the morning, and then we had some lunch after that, and then Joanna's telephone rang. Yes, this, this is the office of the president's wife, Mrs. Janet Museveni. And Mrs. Museveni has arranged a meeting for you this afternoon at such and such a building. Now, now don't imagine Kampala, Uganda, as being a little small school, a little small country church or city. This is big skyscrapers, not skyscrapers, but nice tall buildings and big traffic. And you're, if you can possibly be downtown at 3 o'clock this afternoon, on the fifth floor, you're to have a meeting. We've, she's arranged a meeting for you. A meeting? So we went. And when we went into this big board room, here we are, little representatives of African Bible College. And on the other side of this big board table are the heads of the education group of, of, the of the universities of the country. And I have my lawyer on this side. And the discussion is 
two possible proposals for a charter for African Bible University. One is absolutely impossible, and one is the one that we had submitted. And the group over there had said, this is what you've got to do to have a charter. And so here we are, and my hearing aids are better today than they were then, but then I couldn't hear very much. But, you know, being the uh, vice chancellor of the university, I felt I needed to make some contributions every now and then as the discussion went along. So I would try to say something, and my lawyer would say, and then I'd try to say something else, and Joanna on my other side would say, and then at a little while, the lawyer turns and he says, well, you have your charter. What? We are a chartered university? Well, the president of the country Mr. Museveni himself must sign, but otherwise, you have your charter. But which version? Well, the version that you submitted. What happened? Some people had been praying for 13 years that God would give us a charter. I have hanging on my wall, and I meant to bring it tonight, the president of Uganda's signature granting to African Bible University its charter. We're on the same academic level as Makerere University with 40,000 students, with our 100 students. Now, who could do that? Only God could do that. Only in answer to God's people's prayers could anything like that happen. Don't give up praying. Don't give up giving. That $7,000 enabled us, and we have all the plans now for a 1,000 students. We've got all the the plans for the number of faculty that we'll have to have, the number of student men's and women's dorms we'll have to have, the number of classrooms and additional feeding places we'll have to have. It's all there. Because somebody bumped up in a pickup truck and gave me a check at that time for $7,000. That's not really that much money, is it? But God did it. You can make a huge difference. I think sometimes of the words that David said. You remember David when he was trying to make an offering to stop the plague that was coming through Israel. And the man who owned that place where he was going to make the offering said, oh no, we, I will bring the sacrifices and you can offer them. And David says, no. Shall I give to the Lord something that costs me nothing? 
Shall I give to the Lord something that costs me nothing? It's wonderful that you're giving to the support of the Lord and his work of these missionaries that we've heard tonight. But ask yourself the question, are you giving to the Lord excess? Are you giving to the Lord something that really costs you nothing? Or are you willing to make a sacrifice? That's what David intended. He's going to make a sacrifice that the Lord may be honored and glorified. So by prayer, by proxy, that is, as you send someone else, and thirdly, in person. I see some young people here. I was converted under the preaching of Billy Graham when I was 15 years of age. I was sitting in Tiger Stadium in Jackson, Mississippi, singing in Billy Graham's choir. And his back was to me while he was preaching. And it as though he were preaching to me and not to the 20,000 people that were there. What is that? That is God. That is God speaking. Has God spoken to you? Has God brought you to salvation? And then by the time I was 16 years of age, I knew God wanted me in the gospel ministry. So I've been preaching for 70 years now, and I'm not finished yet, <laughs> by the Lord's grace. But almost immediately, God also called me to the mission field. So I spent years in this country as a pastor, assistant pastor, youth worker, you name it, church planter, seminary professor, but I couldn't get away from the call. Young people, maybe God would want you to go across cultures, to go across comfort zones, to give your life. And I want you to understand, you cannot outgive God. There is no way that you can outgive God. Amen? Amen? Come on, I know, you're Presbyterians. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, I've talked to the young people, but I've got to talk to you old people too, okay? Oh, I'm too old. I'm too old to go think about missions. No, I'm too old. Hmm. <laughs> Just after the PCA started, I had a couple that was involved in getting the PCA started, a young couple in their 70s, and they came up and shook my hand and said, we're headed to Russia. What? You're 70 years of age and you're headed to Russia? Yes. It's cold over there. Remember the PCA is a southern church. Don't forget that. We're headed to Russia. And so in their 70s, they went to Russia. Myself, I was 55 years of age when I went to the mission field. Anybody here 
even a little below 55 years of age, you're qualified. You're definitely qualified to go to the uttermost parts of the earth and take the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beginning at 55, and you do the math, 27 years of God's blessing in Africa. And all the tales I can tell, the excitement of living with Christ every day and seeing him move mountains to his own glory. What a wonderful life it is. If you're an educator, let me tell you a story and I'll be finished. Just these two more stories and I'm finished. This, you're an educator? We trained teachers at African Bible University and they had to do practice teaching. So a group of our practice teachers were assigned to a school and the principal was, nah, I don't know about this. African Bible University, a Bible college, what do they know about mathematics or history or literature? Well, so he sat in on the classes, which he didn't normally do because he didn't trust our students. When it came time for our students to leave that school and come back, after their one term there, the students were crying. They were saying, please do not leave us. Please do not leave us. All our other teachers say, we're no good. They say, go back to your village and get married and plow the ground. That's all you're good for. But you have told us that we have worth in Jesus Christ. That we have reason for living. That we can serve the King of Kings. Are you an educator? Go and educate some educators. And you can bless the world. And there's one other story about one of our students and the value of being educated. This student came from Sudan. And Pastor John, I, I have to tell you that the students of Sudan were very distinctive. They were distinctive in this regard. We, had, we always had students from Sudan. Not always, but regularly, we had students from Sudan, and they were all just so lovable. And they had the same characteristic. They were absolutely convinced that the gospel of Jesus Christ was the answer to every problem in Africa. They were absolutely convinced that whether you're talking about poverty, whether you're talking about corruption, whether you're talking about disease, any of those things, whether you're talking about war, tribal warfare that has been going on forever, 
They were fully convinced that the gospel of Jesus Christ was the answer to every one of these problems. And when they went back to Sudan, to South Sudan, they had trouble because you could not go on any road from one village to another without the possibility of raiders, bandits, stopping you. If it's a bus, they stop you. They make all the people get out of the bus and they take your shoes, they take your clothes, they take your watches, they take whatever you've got, and off they go. And there's so many different kinds of raiders, you never know whether it's the official army people or whether it's the rebellious, the rebellers, rebels that are you're dealing with, or whether it's just a, a group, you don't know. And you can't even go from one village to the other to get your supplies so you can continue with your little business that you have. So this student was back home between semesters and some men broke into his house. And they're armed men. I don't know what kind of guns, but they probably got automatic weapons. And they start taking away everything he's got, his shoes, his clothes, anything that's in that house, and they're taking it all away. And this student, he takes his computer, and he does like this. And he says, you can take everything that I've got. You can take my shoes, you can take my clothes, you can take my money, you can take my furniture, but you cannot take my computer. Because on my computer are the notes from the Bible classes that I got at African Bible University. And you cannot take my computer. You can kill me, but you cannot take my computer. Because that's where I have learned about the Bible. Could you go and teach some people about the Bible? Could you go and teach some people about computers? Are you a nurse? Are you, you could do so many things over there, how you could serve. So there it is. Jesus, who is this man anyway? Well, he's worthy of worship. When the eleven saw him, they worshipped. Try to use your sanctified imagination a little bit because the next phrase says, Jesus came to them. So I've, they're, they're up on the mountain, eleven of them. Something's missing, one is missing. There should be twelve and they're going to deal with that problem because there have to be twelve because this is the new Israel of God that is being formed. And they're up there. And just a few days ago, they ran like chickens. When Jesus was arrested, they ran. They fled. And furthermore, did you hear that chilling phrase? They saw Jesus, 
And he came and they worshipped. And then there's that chilling phrase. But some doubted. Did you hear that in the reading of scripture? Who is he talking about? He's talking about the eleven. Those that are chosen to be his emissaries to the world. And they have already seen Jesus several times. So don't think your doubts would get taken away if Jesus appeared to you personally. There's something inherent in us that is called unbelief. And do you know something? It's not going to totally go away until you get to heaven. There's always going to be a little bit of nagging doubt. And yet, despite that fact, Jesus says to the eleven, Go, you, into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And you are the you. Go. Because the one who has bought you with his own blood says, go. Let us pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we bow before you. We put our faces into the dust before you the creator, the one who gave up his whole life for us. We adore you as our savior, the source of life for all of us. Lord Jesus, yes, here I am. Send me. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The heart of BTS is first and foremost to be faithful. Faithful to the Word of God, to the sufficiency of Scripture, to knowing we serve a sovereign Lord. The second component of the heart of BTS is accessibility. We're affordable. We're flexible. We work with students to help them achieve goals. This isn't our journey. It's your journey for serving the Lord. It's your journey that God has called you to. So we pray that while God expands and grows the opportunities that we have, that we never lose sight to provide quality, reformed theological education, faithfully and accessibly, so that we can serve the local church by building leaders for His kingdom. But there's two programs in my last minute here that I want to draw your attention to. For those that are pastors, I want you to be aware of our Doctor of Ministry program. We do have a wonderful program. It is entirely available online, but we work in cohorts. So students meet weekly with one another, digging into each other's lives with their time with one another, and really truly build relationships with one another. We have several men here who are in those cohorts who would be happy to talk to you about it if you wanted to ask them. 
We have four tracks in that program, pastoral leadership, biblical counseling, uh, apologetics, as well as um, uh, our new program in church multiplication and vitality that is built around the Lampstand Conference, as many of you are aware, which is the new iteration of Embers to a Flame that works around church vitality. That's a wonderful program. The whole thing comes in at less than $8,000 for students. So if you're interested in that, stop by our booth and talk to us. But the second one uh, that we're very excited about is a program that we're launching uh, this fall. It can be started this summer, but this fall particularly, which is a learning certificate geared towards leadership in the PCA, a PCA leadership certificate. It has four classes, has a class on the Westminster Standards, uh, Confession and the Catechisms that serves as a survey of systematic theology, a class on Presbyterian polity, a class on Introduction to Covenant Theology, and the fourth class is Conflict Resolution in the Local Church. We believe that these four classes will be an unbelievable resource for elder, deacon training, and for just lay people in the church who want to understand better what it means to be a Reformed Presbyterian individual. Every class at BTS that is at the graduate level is $100 per credit hour. So this whole certificate is $800 for four classes. Churches can sponsor students or students can pay for themselves. We can host local micro-learning centers where professors can come teach these classes locally in churches if we have five or more students. Or students can be online with other elders and leaders in the PCA across the country, actually learning and growing together. So when they end up in Presbytery together, guess what? They've been learning together. When they end up at the General Assembly together, they've been in class together. These are ruling elders that have this opportunity. So we're incredibly excited about our new PCA leadership certificate. If you're interested in hearing more, we can't wait to tell you. Thanks for your time. And what a wonderful assembly we have here. I, you know, to hear about the seminary coming out of Birmingham, do you understand what's behind that? Do you understand? You have to go back, you know, if you, if you hang around long enough, you can become an eyewitness to history. And I'm an eyewitness to the fact that one of the things that led the old PCUS down the tubes was the seminaries. And the seminaries were all denominational seminaries. And it wasn't accidental that when the PCA started, we said, we're going to acknowledge all the different courts of the church. And so a court of the church can be a session. And a session is a proper court of the church to establish a seminary for the training of men for the gospel ministry. And so we have this seminary in Birmingham and what a wonderful ministry it has had. I'm so excited, I think I'm gonna sign up on this new program that you've got, this <laughs> PCA leadership certificate. That just sounds absolutely wonderful. You know, let's pass the word around to that.